Hi, I'm Eric Most of Most Insurance. We here at Most Insurance are truly passionate about a lot of things, and it is our earnest desire to protect families. We do this by providing comprehensive insurance products like auto, home, business, and life insurance. Most Insurance is a local, independent insurance agency that truly longs to serve our clients in a unique way. Check us out at mostins.com. That's mostins.com. Most Insurance is an endorsed local provider by Dave Ramsey and the I Work For Him radio show. Find them on the web at mostins.com. Hi, this is Luke Andrews. And this is Dave Cruz. We are longtime supporters and friends of Jim Brangenberg, and I work for him. As financial advisors, we're different. Give us a chance to prove it. We're Christ's followers. It's not what we offer, it's who we are. Check us out online at crossplan.net. That's crossplan.net. Or call us directly at 727-398-7900. That's 727-398-7900. Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio program with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I've got Ivan Miranda. He'll be engineering the show today and taking your calls right from the beginning of the show because we've got books to give away. Everybody who listened to yesterday's show already has heard today's speaker. So if you didn't get a chance to call in yesterday and win Brad Bright's book, you need to call into the studio line now at 855-265-2929. As we enter the I Work For Him zone, just remember, it's not a program you sign up for. I work for him as a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your paradigm. You know, and that paradigm is described in this verse. Don't copy Romans 12 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And let me tell you what that means. I'm changing my opening today. Let me just tell you what it means. The customs of this world are when uh, there's a conflict between two business people, they go to lawyers, they get lawyers, and they send threatening letters to each other. That's not... If, if these are two Christian people, that is not acceptable. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, this is the paradigm shift. Instead of just sending nasty grams, this is what the scriptures have to say. The paradigm shift I'm looking for is we're going to change the world because we're going to do things differently, not the way the world does. That's right. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, you can't, can't you decide even these little things amongst yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you, surely, so you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go outside the judges who are not respected by the the church. I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. That's unbelievable to me. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Welcome to the I Work For Him zone. I hope you never look at work the same. I want to be your hands 
Now that I have that off my chest, I'd like to welcome you to the I Work For Him show and in our never-ending desire to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways that will challenge the way you think about your faith at work. Today, we continue our discussion day two with Brad Bright on attacking the cultural garbage that is rhetoric out there that people are told, you just need to be more tolerant. No, Jesus wasn't tolerant. Jesus loved people. He called us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say be tolerant. Okay, Brad Bright. Thank you so much for being willing to be on the I Work For Him show and for gracing us with your excellence because you are so well-worded as a man. Brad Bright, welcome back to the I Work For Him show. Jim, it's a delight to be here. Thanks for having me on. I don't know what you thought about that intro, but I heard something today on the street between two believers, and it set me on fire. I am just, that's the paradigm shift we're talking about. We, we've got, did you hear the intro? I don't know if you get to listen to oh, the intro. I, I, I heard it. I can hear it just Okay. Fine. <laughs> I think you're a little passionate about it. <laughs> I, I just, I just hate to see the name of God defamed amongst the non-believers. And, and when two Christians attack each other, even if it's just lawyer to lawyer, it just sends me off the charts, especially when the scriptures are so so poignant. They're right there. It's so clear. And, and I just and, and we're do we. I, I will I will take a deep breath. But we just we have to work so hard at at bringing the image of Christ up because people have just people don't even know who the real Jesus is. All they know is what religion has taught them. And we're trying to bring the real Jesus out there. And then there's people out there who are just bragging about being Christians and they start suing other Christians and bringing the courts. I'm like, really? Seriously? Okay. So what do you think about that? I mean, it, you know, you're talking about, you know, making God the issue. You, you, you know what the scriptures say. Have you ever run into two <laughs> Have you run, ever run into two Christians suing each other and had a conversation with them like that? Oh, I, I've seen it all the time. You know, when my dad was a young believer, he was still he was biz, in business in Hollywood. He's a businessman, and uh, he faced a couple situations where he was done wrong by his business partners, and he had to make a decision. In one case, he just he said he, he, his business partners weren't believers, and he was in, in oil and gas, and he just had to decide, God, you take care of it and I'm going to keep moving forward. He had no idea what happened to those guys after that, but, you know, he lost money. But he just decided to do it God's way. Then a situation in the church where he went to, and other members there got mad at him, really thought he was doing them wrong, and and, he, and so they just went before the body at, at the church, the, the elders, to decide the issue, and to decide it within the body of Christ, and it was... It was they took care of it. Unfortunately, relationships were, were never fully restored to my, you know, it, it was, it hurt my dad's heart till the end of his days that that relationship was never fully restored. Mm. But he did everything he could to not be part of the problem mm. and, and to to handle it in a godly way and have the uh, elders handle the situation and resolve it. And although he did not agree with the, the final decision of the elders, he abided by it. Mm. 
That's and that's tough. <laughs> I, yeah. I, sometimes I think I would have a hard time with that. Uh, although I, I've been humbled many times by, <laughs> by by certain things, but sometimes that's tough to take. You know, all, all I want most most Christians don't even know the Bible's that specific because they never open it up. Most yeah. most Christ followers don't even know the, how specific it is about lawsuits between believers. It, it is, and, and they need to know the, the reference. It just it just doesn't make Christ look good. Okay, that's off topic, but I appreciate you sharing that. Because it, it's just one of those things where we're trying to shift the paradigm in people's minds to get them to recognize their workplace as a mission field. And the and the enemy's constantly lobbing bombs into their mission field to blow it up so that it'll discourage them and get them to walk away. And that's really what we're talking about all week. There's all kinds of rhetoric out there that, that says you can't bring your faith into the workplace, that your faith isn't valued, and that, that it doesn't even fit, and that, yeah, it's fine, you can believe in your God, but I'm I'm going to believe in my God. And there's all this garbage out there. The word tolerance is just, ugh. To me, it's right along with evolution. Really? Show me proof of evolution. I see devolution around me all the time. Have you ever driven down Almerton Road in Pinellas County? Devolution proven by man. Anyway. All right. So, yes. You you, you said it's off topic. No, it's right on topic, topic because... That, that one issue of, of how to handle a situation in business, it goes back to what is your primary question? Is your primary question, how does it make God feel, or how does it make me feel? And depending upon your starting question, you'll make your choice accordingly. Hmm. Powerful. I love that. And we're going to talk a lot more about that on Thursday's talk when we talk about the attributes of God, but that that's very, very powerful. Say it again. How does that make God feel versus how does that make me feel? Those are the two primary starting questions, and depending upon which, which question you ask, you'll end up at a very different place. And that's, that's the issue in the church today. It really is. We're asking the wrong question so much of the time, mm. and, 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 and certainly in the culture. Well, and you said yesterday on the show that Jesus didn't respond to people's questions. He always came back. He redirected. That's not the word you used. He he didn't redirect. What's the word? He, uh, he uh, reframed, oh, reframed the issue. Reframed. reframed. Redirect works. Yeah. yeah. He reframed the issue and came back at them, which was powerful. And, and yesterday we talked on there, really the basis for morality and, and that... You know, that really, if you don't have God as a basis for, for your morality, then really you have no basis for morality, and therefore morality has no point. Well, you do have a basis, but it's a flawed basis, and, and therefore it really can't work in any sort of rational sense of the word. It's simply about how you feel. And and that's a moving target. <laughs> every day. I feel differently every day, every hour of the day. I do, too. If I don't have a point outside of myself, then uh, it's, it's going to change. I. I remember I was doing a uh, talk show one time, and a guy called in and said, I'm an atheist. My girlfriend and I live together, but we're moral people. And I thought, okay. <laughs> Where do I start with this guy? <laughs> and how did, you, how did you start with him? That was, that was great. So did you ask him what the basis was for his morality then? I, oh, I did. I said, your, your problem here is you may believe that and feel strongly about it, but how do we come up with a common morality based on the same thing and end up at the same point. What is that common starting point? If it's not God, what is it? How you feel versus how I feel? If that's if those are the starting point. And he finally said, well, you know, morality evolved just like we did. And I said, oh, oh really? In other words, we made it up over time. Is that what you're telling me? We just made it up over time? It evolved? We made it up? <laughs> 
In other words, morality is a fairy tale just like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. We can choose to believe it or not. Well, you know, and that I said, you need to come up with a way of convincing me that what you believe is true. So what is the, what is the common starting point? And he never could come up with that, because there wasn't one. You know, as, as we're talking, and we've talked about this before, Jim, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. And, you know, it was an article by Christian Smith. He, he's a professor. But, you know, traditional Christianity says that the chief purpose of man is to glorify God. But moralistic therapeutic deism, which is really the belief of much of the Christians sitting in the church today, is that the chief purpose of God is to make me happy. Did you get the difference? Chief purpose of man is to glorify God. That's orthodox Christianity. Versus the chief purpose of God is to make me happy. That is what many people in the church believe today. You, you doubt me? Do you remember last late August, early September, there was a high-profile person, um, well-known across the country, that has, it was the wife of this person who made this statement, do good because God wants you to be happy. Do you remember that? She, and she said, when you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what make God, makes God happy. Yeah, no, but if somebody said that, go ahead and call him out on my show. I don't care. It doesn't hurt well, me at all. My point isn't to call him out. My oh. point is, is this is an example of the, the change that has occurred. The point is that God is no longer the starting point. It's what makes me happy is the starting point. And those are and people that never... The, I'm sorry. If that's the starting point, you're going to end up in a place you don't want to be. Well, I mean, there's nothing in the scriptures to support that. I mean, that goes right along with the, the health and wealth people. Like, yeah, you know, if you give your life to Christ, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. Really? Did you ever read the book of Job? Oh, wait a minute. Did you ever read Paul's books? I mean, really, where do you get that? Where do you get well, that? But that's that. What? Go ahead. Instead of, instead of shooting at people, I, I think a lot of these people mean very well. They okay. mean very well. But unfortunately, they've been affected by the culture, and the starting point is the wrong place. They actually believe that the chief purpose of God is to make me happy. Mm. Uh, they've uh, got it all backwards because they have succumbed to the culture's message of, how does that make me feel, instead of how does it make God feel. I like and, that. And, I'll and stop shooting to, at people, I promise. We, we need to correct that with gentleness rather than with harsh criticism. There may be one or two people we need to call out, <laughs> but by and large, most of the people that believe this are well-meaning people, and we need, to, we need to understand that and gently reason with them and help them understand what God actually says, and that you cannot be happy as long as you're asked, the primary question is, how does that make me feel? You have to ask the question, how does that make God feel, and act accordingly. All right, so I'll apologize for my soapbox opening. <laughs> I understand, and I feel some of those same emotions, but we need to correct with gentleness. We, we really, really do, because the goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to win the person. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. No, that's fine. I've been I've made mistakes before. I do get slightly emotional about certain subjects, so I'm okay. I'm well, okay. And you, and you should, because we need to we need to correct these issues, but. I don't want to steamroll people in the process of, of trying to, in the, in the name of trying to help them, um, make them a target. 
I, I, I want to be very careful about that. All right, well, let's try to equip some people then the rest of the day. <laughs> try to build them back up for those people that felt like they've been attacked. You know, okay. All right, so yesterday we talked a lot about reframing the issue with God at the center of all the cultural issues in society today. What does it mean to reframe the issues? What it means is to know what your agenda is. You know, Peter and Paul and Jesus, they knew what their agenda was. They knew what they wanted people to understand. And instead of looking at every question and everything as something they had to respond to, they looked at it as a platform. I mean, simply, you know, it's like at work. If someone says, isn't it a gorgeous day today? I say, yes, it is. And I've already told God, thank you, three times. What did I just do? I moved it to the temporal, to who is God and why does it matter? When someone says, I'm hurting, I say, wow, can I pray for you? Move it again back to God. When, you know, whenever a mass shooting occurs, and, and we're, we're seeing them, and we're going to see more of them, and we're going to see more of them, I promise you, and there's a reason why. But my response when, when people say, isn't that awful, I say, well, what did you expect? We now teach children in school that God is irrelevant to morality, but we're shocked when they actually behave as though God is irrelevant to morality. Really? Is to help people understand what's really going on. If you don't teach a child that God exists and who he is, they're not going to behave as though God exists and who he is. So we need to become masters of understanding where we're going and how to bring people along in that process, especially through questions and through engaging in their lives. Well, when we come back, I really want to talk about a question. You say in your book, in the study guide for your book, For God is the Issue, hey, you asked, so people should ask three people, what do you think the connection is between your belief in God and your behavior? And you asked people to ask that question as an intro to your book. All right, and I stand corrected. For, for how I open the show, I've, I think I've said enough now, but I, okay, I do get passionate, and I just hate seeing people make fun of Jesus. That's just really uh, my I agree. Right, I so, agree with you. So, so my approach might not always be perfect, but I, I did pay for the hour of radio, so, okay, but I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and we're all in process. None of us is perfect, so we've got a lot of grace and move forward. Well, I need some grace, so please forgive me if I offended you. Come back and listen to the show tomorrow. Oh, no, listen to the rest of today. All right, so it says in your study guide you wrote a study guide you wrote a study guide for four the first four chapters of your book and they're really really good questions and in the first first or second chapter of the study guide you say and your book is called god is the issue we're gonna do a book highlight on that right after the bottom of the half hour you say you challenge readers to ask three people what do you think the connection is between your belief in god and your behavior what do people get for some answers when they ask that question Oh, that, I think you could probably predict them, but I'm supposed to be good. I'm not supposed to hurt other people. I, I'm not supposed to judge other people. I mean, especially with younger folks today, is I'm not supposed to judge other people. You know, I remember in high school, there was a book that was out that was, I'm okay, you're okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From my opinion, one of the stupidest titles I've ever read. No, the reality is, I, I, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and we're all in need, in need of God's grace. It's you know, wrong starting point. But what do all of these responses have in common? They all have re- in common that each one of them deals with symptoms rather than cause. I'm supposed to be good, behavior. I'm not supposed to hurt other people, behavior. I'm not supposed to judge other people, behavior. They're all behavior-focused rather than heart-focused. And until we get people responding to the heart question. We, we, we haven't, they're not where they need to be in order to bring about real change in their lives. So 
is to help people understand that most of the time we're focused on symptoms rather than cause. Hmm. And that we need to say that over and over again, because we, a lot of us as Christians have gotten caught up because the church tends to do that, teach us on to focus on symptoms and not on the cause. We, we yeah. focus on our baby. I mean, there's a lot of churches that said, hey, you can't dance, you can't drink, you can't play cards, you know, you got to wear dresses, you got to wear suits, you know, you got to not, you know, whatever. And those were all symptoms of things instead of the root cause, which was just our denial of that God of the Bible really existed. Yeah, I, I spent seven years at the University of Washington in Seattle working with these crazy college students. You know, they great time. But here's what I always told the guys I worked with. I said, if I see things in your life, I, I'm not going to ask you a lot about the symptoms. You know, see things in your life that, that aren't according to biblical standards. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking to you about the symptoms. I'm going to start asking you the heart questions of what's going on in your heart that's driving the, the, the nutty behavior. Because it, it always starts from something in the heart, something in how I view God is driving the wrong behavior. Always. That and how you and because of how you view God, how you view yourself and yeah. and devalue yourself based that you believe believe in the lies. I mean, Martha and I in marriage mentoring all the time. It's like, what lies are you believing that we need to uncover? Because uh, yeah. a lot of people's lives are driven by those lies they've been told all their lives, and they bring it into their marriage, and it's never dealt with. So bringing that out is very, very important. What's the connection between our culture's image of God and the current moral climate and their political behavior? Because there's a real trend there. Uh, there is. Uh, you know, let me start with a story. I was in Northern California doing a God is the Issue seminar. It was a Friday night. About 250 people were there. The first hour I lecture, but the second hour I do Q- Q&A, question and answer, and, and case studies. At the beginning of the second hour, I said, any questions? This guy stood up and said... Um, yeah, I'm the head of the Gay Lesbian Alliance here in town, and I have a question for you. I said, great, what is it? I knew that point we could probably push most of the case studies away for the night. We had one right in front of us. He said, well, you Christians, you talk about love, and then you exclude us from the church. How do you justify that? And I said, okay, stop right there. I said, if we're going to have a conversation, we have to agree on one thing. If we can't agree on it, we can't have a conversation. You want to know what it is? He said, yes. I said, we have to agree that God loves you just as much as he loves me. If we cannot agree on that... We cannot have a conversation. So are we agreed? And he said, okay. I said, okay, let's have a conversation. So he began asking his questions. I answered his questions. You know, most of their arguments are very surface, and you take them one step down below the surface, and their arguments fall apart. So we went through this process. An hour and a half later, this process was still going on. Nobody had left. 250 people, not a single person left the room. It was only supposed to go for another hour. Finally, he says at the end, he said, you know, we're just not that far apart. And I said, that's where you're dead wrong. I said, let me explain. You start with your behavior and what you want. I try to start with who God is and what he wants. And as long as our starting points are so radically divergent, we'll never really find common ground. And he went, oh, and sat down. End of conversation. One, I extended respect to him from the very beginning. I extended respect. I had a conversation with him. It was a direct conversation, but it was a conversation, not a spitting match. And so for the first time in his life, I think he understood what the real difference was. It was all about the starting point. He started with what he wanted. I tried to start with who God is and what he, what he wanted. And, you know, this affects everything in culture. It affects the economy. Back in 1776, the average American heard 3,000 sermons regarding their accountability to God and their obligation to their fellow man. 
Well, you know, if I believe I'm accountable to God and, and responsible for my fellow man, capitalism works well. Why? When my neighbor's barn burns down, what do I do? I drop what I'm doing, I go help him rebuild his barn. I've heard people say capitalism works fine without God, and I say, really? Explain Mexico to me then. It doesn't work there. It can't work because of their underlying view of God. And I can, if I had time, I, we could flesh it all out. We won't do that today. But it all goes back to our view of God. It affects our moral behavior. It affects our economy. Today, we no longer have an, a capitalistic economy. It's a quasi-socialist capitalist economy somewhere in between. And it had to be because as our view of God devolved, we had to do something to take care of those people who would get hurt, hurt otherwise. Because the average person will no longer go and help their neighbor. They'll help themselves first. So it has ramifications across the board. But if I really believe that I'm accountable to God and that God loves me, then I am going to take care of my neighbor because God loves me, so I will love you. And when you have legitimate needs, I'm going to help. Those are powerful words. I mean, we just need to let them sink in. Because in the way you said that, in 1776, when our country was founded, people were taught all the time that they were accountable to God and they were to love their neighbor. Yeah. And, and and those sermons aren't very – first of all, the accountability conversation, not talked about a lot. We're not talked about a lot of accountability. We've, we've kind of taken accountability out of the equation, almost. Well, that's because God wants me to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, he – yeah, yeah, right. And, and, and that's right? the issue. No, but God does not want me to be happy. God wants me to be like Jesus. God, and, God wants me to follow him. He promised us joy, not happiness, and there's a real difference. Mm -hmm. Joy is what I experience even in the midst of heartache. Happiness is what I experience as a result of my circumstances. Mm. God is not about circumstances. He's about turning me into someone who loves him with my whole heart so that when the hard times come, I experience his joy. That's not the same thing as happiness. Mm. It's so, so true. And, and really, I, I describe it like this. God wants to take it from who you are to who he can use. Yeah. And and he does that through difficult circumstances that won't make us happy all the time. It just but but in the end, we're way better people than we were before. It's just amazing. We, are, we have substituted happiness for joy because most of us don't have a clue what joy is or how to get there. And we're on Thursday. We're we're going to be talking about that very issue of how to get there. It, it is that's a tough concept. I mean, it's one of those things where I pray all the time, Lord, yeah, as I pray through the the fruits of the spirit and, and to be refilled at the beginning of the morning just to refresh, Lord, just to make renew a right spirit within me as as David as David prayed and as Keith Green saying great many many years ago, I I, I Lord just teach me about joy and how to delight in you. Because it is it's joy is not it's a concept that people don't understand they misuse that term all the time oh they do joy is about my focus not about my circumstances mm, that's pretty good all right uh, i remember 1983 in kansas city i was with my dad we were backstage he got a call that his mother had passed away and he was very close to his mother and on his face it was the most amazing experience i saw incredible heartache and anguish and incredible joy all at the same time i thought oh i get it i saw both emotions exact same time Powerful. Dostoevsky said, if there is no God, then everything is permitted. How true is this statement today in respect to our culture? Well, let me answer that question with another question. If God does not exist, 
how do you get from survival of the fittest to love your neighbor? If God doesn't exist, how do you get from survival of the fittest, that is dog-eat-dog, to love your neighbor? I've never had anyone explain to me how you get from survival of the fittest to love your neighbor. You can't do it. Not if God doesn't exist. And that's what we're facing today. As we say God is irrelevant, we have a harder, harder time of saying love your neighbor, and so instead of love, we substituted tolerance. Well, and right, and that's really what the culture is saying. Hey, be tolerant. It's not saying love your neighbor. It's saying be intolerant of your neighbor. Be tolerant. Be tolerant of your neighbor, but be intolerant of your Christian neighbor. Yeah. Well, what Torah says is the only thing that's important that everybody get along and be happy. Oh, there's that be happy thing again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Everyone get along and be happy. So when I say something that's a little disruptive, what am I doing? Then people perceive we're not getting along, and if I'm not getting along, then how can I be happy? So let's about the starting point. Let's let's flip the conversation. Then I, I've taken us a little glass half empty. Let's take it to the glass half full because that that is my tendency. So <laughs> well, no, it is. I mean, it just honestly it is. I've always had to work on being a glass half full guy. It doesn't always come as I as my opening described. I got very frustrated. Um, let's let's talk about in the workplace as we try to re-engage this and reframe the issue. There we we are we're constantly exposed to opportunities um, to reframe the issue, but we're not necessarily educated in that fashion. And I know your book, you give lots of great ideas on how to just re-engage people, reframe the issue, but how how do you see it happening in the workplace? Well, first of all, we have to, our, our heart has to be one that we want to engage, that we want God to use us in the workplace. If, if that's not your heart, then uh, there's, I can't do anything to help you. But if your heart is, God, I want you to use me, then you need to start asking God, give me opportunities. Starts with prayer. God, give me the opportunities. If you're serious about it, God will give you the opportunities. You won't, do, you, you won't handle all of them well. I promise you, you won't. You will make mistakes. I promise. You know, I've given a lot of evangelistic presentations over, over the years to different groups. And some of the ones I thought I absolutely blew. Guys are going, yeah, tell me, I want to know more. And other ones I thought, boy, I did a bang-up job on that one. That was one of the best presentations I ever gave. No response. You see, because what's going on here is people are more concerned about your heart and about what God is doing in their hearts than they are that you get it all exactly right. So if you're available, you extend love. You extend love to people in the workplace, and you're intentional about it. Then when the opportunities come, people will listen to you. People will listen. But at some point, you do have to open your mouth. <laughs> right. If you don't open your mouth, they're never going to really, really know what's going on. I remember when I was at the University of Washington, one of my coworkers went to the student body president and said, has anyone ex- ever explained to you how you could know God personally in a, in a respectful, kind way? And he said, no, a lot of my friends have had the opportunities, but no one has ever taken it. Did you catch that? A lot of his Christian friends had the opportunity. He, he, he would have given them the opportunity. He was ready to listen. But none of them took the opportunity. You know, we, we're so afraid of offending people. Most people want what we have. They just don't want us to, to talk to them with our fingers in the air. They want to know that we really care about them. Once they know we care about them, tell you what, we can have a real conversation that will minister 
to them. And I'll tell you, the best time to choose to minister to people is when they're hurting. Mm-hmm. When a person is hurting, it is so easy to say, you know, can I pray for you? And the next day, well, how is your son doing? How is he doing? You want me, Can I pray for him again today? And you know what? When people are hurting, the other thing, too, is we forget is angry people are usually angry because they're hurting. Never forget that. My father-in-law is a dentist. People don't like going to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like going to the dentist. And I got a good dentist. People would come in angry, and they don't want to be there anyway. And, uh, and he used to get offended. He, he's a driver, you know, and he wants to drive through it. And, but finally one day God said, Jay, why don't you just see how they're doing ask how, if you can pray for him?" So the next time a person came in angry, he said, you know, you must be hurting. Is there something I can pray for you about? And he says, it's amazing. People go, oh, Doc, would you pray for me, Doc, really? Yeah. He says, nine times out of ten, people will go, yeah, would you pray for me? I'll tell you what, that is an incredible opening to begin to have a ministry in a person's life. Mm. Meet them where they're hurting. Look for those opportunities where they're hurting to be able to come alongside of them. My wife said to me one time when I was frustrated with somebody that was in our lives, and she goes, you realize that hurting people hurt people. And, and, and she said, and, I, and that was a decade ago, I'm like, wow, it is a good reminder. I don't always shift my paradigm in my mind on my own, but those words have shifted it for me many, many, many times. You know, Jesus told us to build our house on a rock, not on sand. And isn't the argument of trying to um, argue with people about symptoms versus dealing with the issue of making God the issue, isn't that really like building a house on the sand versus building a house on a rock? Well, yeah, it's all about the starting question. If all we're doing is dealing with the symptoms, we're building on sand. We, if we're not willing to deal with the underlying question, the causal questions in their lives, we're, we're building on sand. That, understand, is why I left politics and went into ministry. Because I realized politics can only deal with symptoms, and I wanted to deal with the cause. And I am so glad for men and women out there of integrity or in politics. I'm not saying leave. God has <laughs> led you to Please stay and, and do your best, and I want to do everything I can to help you. But I left politics because I realized quickly politics can only deal with symptoms. Mm. And I want to deal with cause, and the cause is, who is God and why does it matter? I mean, that's the, that's the starting question. I love that. And what's amazing is our founding fathers understood this. I mean, George Washington wrote, and let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of a refined education on the minds of the peculiar structure, reason and experience forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. You know, the, the study that Baylor University did a few years ago on the four views of God bears that out. And they were very clear, you learn more about a person's moral and political behavior if you know their image of God than almost any other measure. And it's fascinating as you see the different views of God and the resulting moral behavior, there is a direct tie between how a person views God and their moral behavior. Here's a question for you. If a person views God as loving versus as a judge, which, you know, loving as almost a Santa Claus figure versus a judge figure, which of those two groups do you think is going to have better moral behavior and higher moral views. The person views God as a judge 
other person who views God as kind of a Santa Claus. A.W. Tozer said, It's impossible to keep our moral practices sound while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. And you said before the break, we've got we got to ask the right question. Actually, I'm not quite sure exactly how you do it because I was writing it down as fast as I could. But if God, if people view God as a judge versus God as loving, how does that affect their behavior? Is that what you said? Yeah, I, the, the question is, who do you think has the better moral behavior mm. and has higher moral values? The person who thinks God's Santa Claus or the person who thinks God's a judge? And most people say, well, of course, people who think of God is a judge, and you'd be dead wrong. People who view God as a loving, kind of Santa Claus figure actually tend to have higher moral behavior than people who think God as God is a judge. Why? Because love is a more powerful motivator than fear. Over the long haul, it's a far more powerful motivator. Of course, in in the Baylor study, the people who had the highest moral behavior were people who viewed God as a judge with a heart. Mm. And, and those were the, but you just see the progression going way down. And the people who viewed God as as AWOL, you know, way without leave, as distant, um, were basically they basically became functional atheists. They believed in God, but they functioned more like an atheist in how they lived their lives every day, and they had the lowest moral standards. So it all goes back to how you see God. And the Baylor study showed it time and time and time again, and it was a detailed study, fascinating study. Well, and we got, is there a link to that study where people can look that up? Uh, well, it's rather complex, but you can oh. go to Baylor University and type in four views of God, and it'll take you to the study. It's fascinating if you want to time, spend time reading it. Um, we actually did a quiz based on it that has ten questions. A lot easier to, to ascertain. You can go to viewofgod.com and go take the quiz uh, and have a lot of fun, and it'll take you in further, and, and you can read more about it. But uh, Viewofgod.com. We'll post that on Facebook tonight. All right, so really, as we look at this, it all comes down to, it, well, of course, if you, you said you, you actually phrased your question to actually be kind of tricky. If people view God as a judge versus loving or a Santa Claus, like, you know, how does it affect their behavior? But really, God is a judge and God is loving. He's not Santa Claus-ish, but, uh, but God is both of those, but so much more than that. But to yeah. have a proper view of God, that, that's understanding the attributes of God, which we're going to talk about on Thursday. But it's really... Communicating. If you look at management styles, if people who are dictators, if they're just judgmental and, and kicking people all the time, those people have a hard time holding people in positions, and they never get the, the loyalty of their of their employees versus people who love them, but yet are still firm with them and correct them. Those are the people that are, get real loyalty because they know that their boss is investing in them and they're taking a risk by communicating difficult things to them. Yeah, you, you, you hold people accountable, but you do it with respect. But you hold people accountable. And that's what, that's what we all need. You know, too many times when we start dealing with the symptoms, we end up playing kind of whack-a-mole. <laughs> you know, the symptom pops up, we try to knock it down. That symptom pops up, and we try to knock it down. We need to deal with the underlying cause that's driving all the symptoms. Mm. And whether that's in business or politics or economy, it doesn't matter. If you don't deal with the cause, you never really... Um, get a handle on all the symptoms. And that's, there's so much more to be said in this subject, but really, your book says it all, and we still got a copy of your book to give away, so if anybody's been sitting there listening but didn't have a th- think they had time to call in, now's a great time to call in, 855-265-2929 or 855-265-2929.
All right, we're coming to the end of another I Work For Him show. If you, We've talked a lot about being a Christ follower on this show and yesterday's show. I didn't get a chance to say this last night. If you really want to know what it means to be a Christ follower, to recognize the sin in your life and the fact that Jesus has paid for that sin and wants a relationship with you, Give me, send me an email, jim at iworkforhim.com, jim at iwork, the number for him.com. I'd love to be able to talk to you about how Jesus Christ made an impact on my life and how he can make an impact on yours for the rest of your life. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.